Hello there, welcome to Talent and Growth, the podcast dedicated to all things talent attraction and talent retention and we are less than a week away from our first ever live event. I'm very excited to, to meet everybody who's attending and to uh, hear what our fantastic speakers have got to say. Uh, we're doing this event for Mind Charity, uh, who support mental health in the UK, uh, a phenomenal cause and all the money will be going towards them. Um, the speakers have given up their time and they'll be providing us all with um, some expert advice on how to be better at our jobs, better at hiring great people into our businesses. Uh, and of course, there'll be a great opportunity for us all to network and meet each other. And uh, and yeah, nice to do a face-to-face event. But today, in, in keeping with the theme of the week, we're going to have some clips for t- from the two other speakers, Becky Taylor and Christine, who are both guests on our podcast earlier this year. Uh, Becky is the CEO and founder of uh, Tech Returners and Confidence Community and uh, Christine uh, was actually the guest on our first ever Talent and Growth podcast. So we've got some clips from their uh, episodes earlier this year. Hope you enjoy them um, and please do sign up to our event. Um, Lots of links around on my uh, LinkedIn and also uh, probably wherever you're viewing this podcast as well, hopefully. But if not, drop me a DM and I'll send you in the right direction. Um, Hopefully see you there and I hope you enjoy this week's mashup of two of our guests, Becky and Christine. We know it's the right thing to do, of course, but what about some of the statistics we could throw out there around the commercial benefits of a more diverse business? If people are concerned about putting their money where their mouth is, what are the reasons why they should? Yeah, so McKinsey, uh, they always do a kind of yearly woman in leadership um, workplace um, study. So I think the latest stats show that gender diverse companies are 15% more likely to financially outperform the industry average and ethnically diverse uh, companies are 35% more likely to outperform. So that just goes to show actually diversity is not necessarily just about skin color or gender. I think prior to 2020, a lot of focus in tech has always been a woman in tech. Uh, but I think after 2020, there's been more talk outside of just gender, but more around ethnicity, you know, life experiences, age, you know, diversity of thought. Uh, so yeah, I mean, as a result, that's not only just a financial um, performance outcome, but also new ideas and perspectives. Um, it's quite hard to measure, I think, impact on, on things like this. But something I like to talk about is like the implication of a tech team if there isn't enough representation in the room. Um, there's a great book by someone called Caroline Perez. She wrote a book called Invisible Women. Um, And I think she did a study on, I think, iPhone 12 Pro or the Galaxy Note, where they show that the phones are just too big for women's hands. Uh, So it goes to show as they were designing those products, you know, they were all men in the room. Um, And so it kind of demonstrates that tech design is is quite systemic. So obviously, if you're trying to build a product for the masses and you're only designing it for for men, then you're going to obviously single out a particular audience who's going to buy your product. So that's interesting from a product perspective, I'd say. Um, and then wider talent pool. I think in our world, you know, over um, two thirds of active and job active and passive job seekers demonstrate if you've got good DNI practices, that's a top priority when evaluating potential employers. Um, and not even just from a gender or et cetera perspective. What we also saw is like neurodiverse candidates as well. Um, it's a huge talent pool, uh, especially for those hiring and tech roles. Um, what we noticed when we were posting roles um, and partner up with companies like Evenbreak, uh, we had a much more higher um, application rate. So 
that's always a good sign, I think, from, from, from our perspective. So better financial performance, building better products for the masses, and more people applying for your roles. That's really interesting about, I'll, I'll check that book out uh, by Caroline Perez. Um, that's, uh, that's incredible around the, the iPhone, that Apple um, would make that mistake, you know, with the iPhone. And just, it, that's just That was just overlooked. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. And you see it as well. Like every time I go to meetups, you see it like when, when a woman's trying to type notes, I'm like, my phone is so heavy or it's so big. <laughs> like, yeah, it's simple, simple uh, product design. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, um, I suppose this is the bit where I'm going to ask you to really talk us through how we go about building a more diverse business. And I know you've got, you know, a specific case study to talk through. Um, so please, please go ahead. Yeah. And I guess just want to highlight, like, there's no one size fits all, right? Like every business is different. It depends on what stage of the business that you are and where you are at the moment on your diversity and inclusion journey. Um, but I think the first step, it's always important to know where you are at the moment. So doing a quick audit uh, in terms of your current business, right? And actually that takes the longest time. Um, at the FT, we realize when people join the business, a lot of their personal data wasn't mandatory. So we actually had to go backwards <laughs> and say, uh, right, in the next quarter, everyone has to fill out their personal information. Even if you don't want to, you can choose prefer not to say, but at least getting an accurate picture of, of your company data. Um, that, that was a definite challenge, but a good place to start. And I think once you understand where you currently are, the next step is to understand the market. So what is the demographics of the workforce that you're currently hiring for? And what does your local market and region look like? So case example, when I joined the FT, our, our chief product and information officer was striving towards a gender parity workforce and our product and technology teams. So that's across London, Sofia and Manila. So we're like, okay, you know, we're 38% at the moment. Let's break it down. And, and, and how does this work? And we had a look online um, and gov.uk has really great stats about the local London market. Um, if you wanna go deeper into technology, um, Statista and honeypot.io has a great woman in tech index, which you can sort country by country. And I think what we found was like London had a good uh, percentage of gender representation at, at mid and senior level, but Bulgaria didn't. So, you know, was it realistic for us to be setting 50% targets for a Bulgarian team versus our London team, right? So you really got to kind of figure out what works in your local market and then setting kind of realistic statistics. And then I think once you get there, so you now know what your current company metrics look like, you know what your uh, market demographic looks like, you can then start to kind of make actionable steps, right? So for us, we chose 50%, but that, that's quite punchy. Uh, you might want to go maybe 30, 40%. And, and I get asked this a lot. It's like, it's actually putting a number on something like this. Actually, does it work? Sometimes are you just forcing people and are you just hiring the wrong people potentially uh, just because you're trying to force someone into a particular you know, <laughs> vacancy? Uh, the answer to that is no. I think one thing that we have to be very mindful of is that we are not putting the statistics as we have to do this. It's more we are striving towards um, you know, having a more gender, I guess, yeah, equal, more equality across the workforce. So how you do that, how you then implement it is then looking at, at your interview process, right? So the next steps is what we did was we tested it out with one particular team before rolling it out across the entire team. Um, we looked at our technical tasks, we looked at our CVs, 
we anonymized all of our CVs, so the names, universities. Uh, it was tricky when there are certain CVs where someone refers to themselves as third person, and, and you, you take a lot of time just like taking out their names. Um, but anonymize our names, anonymize our technical tests, and ideally, if you can, actually take out the CV entirely and just focus on technical tests for technical roles, because that way you're just purely looking at task-based and you're removing any sort of biases that might be involved in the entire interview process. I think this kind of refers to unconscious bias. You know, we all have unconscious bias. We all, you know, are, have our, our upbringing and our neighborhoods and our friends and our friendship. Yeah, everywhere you get, like we, we inherit all these kind of behaviors and thoughts from, from you know, our, our lives. Um, so what can we do to minimize this bias throughout the whole entire interview process? Um, so technical task. So after we started running this kind of experiment, if you will, uh, what we found was quite interesting because we had some people come back to us and say, you know what, I actually don't have a laptop, so I can't actually do this test at home. Uh, what other options do you have for us? And similarly, you know, if you've got a time limit, like you only have two or three days to complete this tech task for us, that will also limit people who've got families, you know, who's actually really busy after work. So you also really got to think about little mechanics that you're building in are you actually kind of eliminating talent just by putting certain things in place um and then last but not least the interview process so we started asking candidates for their pronouns and adding the pronouns on the interview um, um scheduling as they're coming into the office or when it's virtual um and even before they come in for the interview you also have to ask them is there any certain um, adjustments you like for us to make prior to the interview as well. So there's a ton of kind of little bits uh, in the process that we kind of learned uh, throughout the way. And last but not least, during the interview, so you've got ideally um, a scorecard to standardize the entire interview. So the goal is anybody within the team should be able to come in, interview this person, ask them the same questions um, and be able to come out with if not the same, but similar outcomes. Because um, there's nothing worse than having a bunch of people going in with different ideas in terms of what a role looks like. Um, so having a structure in place. Um, and last but not least, I think once you nail down the interview process, job description, of course, I think everyone knows uh, you've got like Text.io and all these kind of free gender decoder tools as well um, as you kind of working on your job description, any type of words or, or you should use or not use. Um, and I think the final part is the candidate attraction piece, which is predominantly where I think we spend most of our time, because everything I've mentioned earlier is more process based, right? Like identifying the numbers, figuring out where you want to, um, what our goals are, the process, all of that could be done in the background, right? But the bulk of your time is actually spent on how do you attract the right people? Um, and with that, I think you've got a couple of pronged approach, multi-pronged approach. So we had community partnerships as well in place um, aligned to our DNI goals. So prior to 2020, a lot of it was on female and tech. Um, so we partnered up with, you know, Ada's List, Node Girls, um, a lot of kind of more female focused conferences. And at the same time, our tech stack was Node.js. So we would also um, ensure we had some sort of visibility in Node.js uh, conf. 
And at the same time, um, we have also have a DevOps team. So we want to make sure that there's some visibility in the AWS um, conference as well. So just kind of identifying, like, what are your key roles that you're always struggling with and, and where can you be seen? So identifying those partners in place nice and early. Once you can identify that, figuring out your budget. So can you sponsor versus would you rather have someone speak? Uh, what we found, I've done both. Um, we found the speaking route definitely increases the um, application rate versus just kind of having your logo in, in the background. Um, and once you've identified those communities, just continuously building on those. As a talented person, going out there, networking, obviously it's easier uh, when it's in person, but actually when it's virtual, you can see who's actually in the Zoom room at the same time. Add them on LinkedIn, be actively, you know, nurturing these leads. And then after that, uh, continue on the conversation with them. You know, how do you activate your brand within these certain communities? So that's a couple of kind of ideas and suggestions. And we, we definitely yielded uh, a much higher response rate and, and candidate application rate after being visible in these particular communities. Um, so I think by the time, well, when I left last year, we were at about 38% um, and still going. I think what we found was when we would hire more kind of diverse individuals in the organization, what we didn't account for was also attrition. So hence why I always talk about there's a balance. So it's great we're doing all these elements to attract more people, but actually I think that needs, it needs to go hand in hand, attraction and retention, because there's no point if you're bringing all these great people in, but you can't actually keep them at the same time. What kind of things could businesses do to create that environment which supports the wider group and encourages a more diverse teams? Of course, making it more of an inclusive culture. Before we go to market, how we? What kind of things can businesses do internally? Yeah, I think um, there's quite a few tools and techniques. I think one of the main ones is making sure people have voices. I think um, again, it's like you might have one idea about what inclusion and diversity means to you but the two people sat next to you might not so again creating that psychological safe space around people putting forward ideas and suggestions and I've always been a massive advocate advocate of the feedback loop so a lot of companies do ask for feedback but then don't take any action, don't feed it back, which is quite disheartening um, for an organize uh, for, for an individual that have put you know time and effort about their suggestions. So I obviously urge people if they're going to create that inclusive culture and ask for the feedback about what people want, even if you're not going to take that idea forward, you still need to feedback it why and get them to understand it because you need to create that culture that people are open and they will share things because if they don't understand why then they've not been listened to then basically they won't do going forward so you could obviously create like a really psychological safe space you know in terms of getting people's ideas because obviously things do mean different things to to each other um, and it's just a powerful way to understand about why we're doing it like I said, do it at every level. Um, so, you know, people talk a, a lot about like working groups, uh, which I think is great, but make sure those working groups are inclusive as well. So I was talking to a, um, a lady yesterday around that one of the massive organizations in Manchester are setting up a, a women's network. And she was saying, do we just keep it as all women? Or are we actually, you know, 
hindering in terms of you know diversity inclusion within the organization and I always relate it back to to women in tech north our community we're inclusive of everyone so we actually encourage um our members to bring males along because I think if we're really going to change and shift the dial on diversity and inclusion everybody needs an awareness and I do think it is that awareness piece that you know, we've had uh, males at our uh, meetup that come out and go, actually, I've not thought about it from that perspective. And also women thinking, I've not thought about it from that perspective. And by creating that awareness, again, makes it inclusive. But on the caveat to that, if you wanted a, a safe space just for women, then you can just do something separate, but make sure you have a variety of things that, you know, are inclusive to all of your organization as well. So those are hopefully a couple of tips that, you know, people could implement. And like I said, putting it all visible in terms of like a roadmap. So like, you know, you've, you, you've got a working document. These are like milestones that we want to achieve. Be realistic on that. Like I said, it's not going to be an overnight a solution. You're going to um, try things. They might work, they might not. Do a retro around it, how we can improve going forward. Um, try not just to also focus on numbers. I know people talk about like statistics a lot, but you know, it is one measure, but it's not just the only measure. I think there's a lot of other things you more subject subjective things that you can look at around your own organization, around diversity inclusion as well, around how people feel, um, you know, in terms of uh, promotion progression. Uh, we're not just focusing on, you know, getting these people in, are we actually developing them once they're in as well? So I think so if we say that um, we've got it nailed in our culture, we've got an inclusive and safe space, um, so we've got that covered. If we're, if we're a talent acquisition team, so many of the listeners will be in TA, how do we then take that to market to attract more females into our tech teams? So um, content is key, you know, um, and I think that's uh, having managed um, talent acquisition teams for many years, I think it's always been like, a difficult one because you've got your talent team that's going right we can produce this content and then they go along to the, the tech department and maybe go well they might face a bit barriers around well i don't know why whether i've got time to to do that content i may not got time to write a blog or i don't know whether i want the face on you know social media um, and I, i've always seen those challenges around you know the the, the silos and, br and bridging those sort of two teams together I think on that, it's really getting the talent acquisition team to explain the purpose and why and what's the impact. So if you go to a, a tech team and go, right, we're going to write this, uh, I need you to write this blog about why you enjoy working at this organization. More often than not, they're not going to do it because they don't understand the purpose to do it. But if you obviously shared the why and what you're trying to do alongside in terms of the, the bigger overall picture, but what's the actual reason and purpose and the benefit of doing it around, obviously, we, we want diversity of thought, we want um, gender diversity, et cetera. And the, the reason why we want that is because when we're making a product or a service, we want to be inclusive of all to get people's different perspectives. That could obviously mean that, you know, um, smarter solutions, you know, producing more revenue, et cetera, grow, scale the business, et cetera, et cetera. I think if you do that narrative of why, you'll get more engagement. So I think definitely content 
Um, definitely look at all the initiatives that are out there. I'm not just saying that there is obviously ours, but there's obviously lots and lots of different initiatives and not every initiative will be right for your organization. So really do like a market analysis of all the initiatives that are going out there. What's right for your organization? What can you support with? I've heard time and time again around companies spending very large budgets on like events and they've not worked for them. And I think it's because you get approached for an event and you say, well, can you sponsor this event? And they'll go, oh, well, that's, you know, that's great. But they're not connecting it again about why they're doing it and what actual impact it can have on that, on their business. So I think doing a really good market analysis and you can do that by going out into the community, going out to the community meetups, see what people, other companies are referencing, what other people are talking about, speak to them. I think I've, I've seen, um, and, I'd, and I'm sure it's still the case now, the talent community is very collaborative and supportive of each other, even though it's like a highly competitive market. I've seen very much groups of uh, talent, um, acquisition specialist talent, heads of talent come together and share those ideas. And, I, and if you're not in that sort of group, um, um, please, I recommend you do. There's, you know, there's quite a few that I've, I see popping up on LinkedIn every now and again. And I think it's just a great space to, to share things about what's worked, but always connecting it back to what's going to be bring value for your organization as well. And like I said, check in terms of your resources, your tools, so your job descriptions. So like what we do, just even hiring for our own team, we try to bring it to life in terms of um, like candidate packs. So rather than your, your job descriptions, focusing on actually bringing it to life in terms of uh, words, holistic view, pictures, et cetera, of what it's actually like, you know, doing video um, around job descriptions and things like that. Um, one initiative we've done within for our returners is we've removed the CV. So what we find is a lot of biases happen. Um, you know, I feel the talent industry has moved on so quickly, but what hasn't moved on is that we're still referencing an aerial 12 black and white CV. And it leads to so many biases around dates um, and details on there that every client we work with, we've now produced like a return of profile, which is more of a holistic overview of that person's skills, experience, and what value that they can create um, and bring to that organization. So it, it again, eliminates that unconscious bias um, around, you know, talent team doing really well, got all these details, but they might not be your traditional uh, candidate that you've seen before, but you can see, you know, skills and experience and how you can present that is in different ways to eliminate that unconscious bias. So. Hopefully, you know, there's a few things that people can put into practice there. I was chatting to uh, Asif Sadiq the other day, who oh, yes. is, you know, Asif, yeah, a really, really good guy. He's going to be on the podcast. And he he put something really well for me. And it was really obvious, but I just not heard it put like that. And he said in interviews, we need to stop people asking people what they've done and I'll start asking them how they do things. Yes. And that is just, I was just like, wow. You know, it blew yeah. my mind a little bit. And it, it, it's, some, it's simple things like that, isn't it? You know, it's like looking around, not, not the end point, so not like the finite, but the infinite in terms of like how they've actually got there, the journey in which sort of they, they've progressed 
Because if you just looked at the end outcome, come on, we all know things don't go right all the time. So you can't really judge in terms of someone's success around that. It's more about what they've learned, experienced on that way. Um, But I learn so much more when things go wrong than I do when things go right, to be honest with you. And I, I try to reframe that and going, right, okay, well, that hasn't gone particularly well, but what have I learned? And as a team, what have we learned? What can we take away from it? And what could we do better if? So like I always, my, my sort of two uh, phrases for my team is go, right, what's gone well and what's gone better if? You've always got to look in terms of what, what could be improved on that as well. But I think that's great advice in terms of looking um, for the detail around how they progressed and the journey they've been on rather than just the end end goal. Hello there, me again. Just wanted to share that we are actually going to be hosting our first ever live event in London at the Warner Brothers Discovery offices on the 19th of October. Talent and growth has come full circle from a a pipe dream to a podcast uh, to a live face-to-face event. Um, So we're very excited about it. Uh, We've got four incredible speakers who will be sharing with us their expert advice on um, how to be better at our jobs, how to hire great people into our businesses. Plus, you're going to have the opportunity to network with fellow uh, professionals in similar fields to yourself. Um, so if you're interested, uh, we've got an Eventbrite page set up um, and you should be able to find the link uh, in the description of the Talent Growth podcast on whatever platform uh, you listen to us on. Um, so hope we see you there. Thanks for listening.